I'm going to stand and say we need to have integrity in our government and we need to have transparency in our government and we don't need to have principles being treated special. This is Dare to Defend, a campaign podcast with Alice Martin. She's running for attorney general and we're right there with her. I'm Brett Janik, and this is episode 16, Face to Face. Well, Alice, it's been two weeks since we last sat down, and in that time you've been campaigning at full tilt, charging across the state. How are you holding up? Holding up fine. You know, it, it is a long road, literally and figuratively. <laughs> well, since you've entered the race, you've campaigned more or less in isolation. You might occasionally attend the same meeting or venue as your fellow AG candidates, but until recently, you hadn't frequently shared the stage and faced off head-to-head with your camp- competitors. What have these recent candidate forums been like for you, and how has the added element of direct interaction with the other candidates changed the dynamic of the race for you? Well, uh, it's been great. I want the interaction. It's nice to have the forums where they can hear uh, one after the next what our platforms are, what our background uh, is. And I think it's good for um, us to point out where we differ from the other candidate. Um all of us uh, think we can serve best, and uh, we should be able to lay out why we think that is the case and how we differ from our opponents. And there are substantial differences in uh, the four people that are running for attorney general on the Republican ticket, both by way of background, which has prepared them for the job, I think, and in a philosophy of uh, how you can impact policy uh, as an AG and, as I've said, uh, stand as a guardian for the people and not get sucked into the swamp of special interest. So from that policy perspective, what are the major differences that have that have come out at these forums? Maybe describe for our listeners sort of the fault lines that exist between the different candidates. Sure. Well, first of all, when I'm talking about policy, I'm talking about what kind of laws are you going to uh, recommend to the legislature because that's who makes the law and what are you going to do when you see them going down a road that you believe is harmful for law enforcement or for uh, ethics laws in the state of Alabama so uh, the differences there are that uh, I have had experience in working with our legislators when I served as the chief deputy attorney general Uh, and typically Every year, there are going to be some bills uh, that are debated and you're working to pass, Uh, just as I did with uh, just recently, they passed the Data Breach uh, Notification Act. So now Alabama uh, is not one of only two states that doesn't have its consumers notified if your credit card information is uh, violated through a hack. Uh, That passed in 2018 uh, under the current uh, legislature. But we lobbied for it for three years. Uh, We passed last year a new sex crimes bill. This year, what concerned me was the Alabama Ethics Act. You know, there was a new act passed in 2010. I was part of the team that prosecuted Hubbard under that. 
And now there are people that their actions became uh, known by light of day, uh, how they was lobbying an improper approach under the law to the Speaker of the House. And they say, well, we need a change in the ethics law. I am fully in favor of strengthening and clarifying the ethics law if we need to understand better what a principle is, that's a term, or what a thing of value is. Uh, I'm all for that. But I was not pleased at what the current uh, appointed AG did during the 2018 session, because instead of standing for the people and saying, you know, whatever is done, I'm going to stand and say we need to have integrity in our government and we need to have transparency in our government and we don't need to have principles being treated special and now they no longer have to register with the ethics commission and now they no longer fall under the ethics laws uh and that disturbed me and that's exactly what happened with the passage of hb 317 and our lawmakers know how controversial this was uh, because it passed by a very narrow margin in the Senate of one vote, and you had many that just walked off the floor and didn't vote at all. Uh, in the House, you had almost as many, many people abstain, walk off the floor, and just be not present and not vote for it as you did vote for it. And it sunsets in one year. What kind of law do you pass that you know uh, goes away in one year? Uh, it makes you wonder what What's going to happen over the next year? Who wants to cut what kind of deals? So uh, I found that to be troublesome. Uh, also, the, they introduced a new omnibus ethics bill, which is just means a total rewrite of the bill. And uh, the leadership announces it along with the attorney general. They have a press conference that say this has been studied for 18 months. Uh, of course, I know the bill pretty well because we had studied it and it was ready in 2017 for presentation, but they studied it another year and a half and they dropped this bill and then they just kicked the can down the road and the attorney general agrees to be part of a study committee. Uh, two people from the AG's office out of 22 will study it and they will make changes. As AG, I will stand for the people. I'm not going to join that kind of study committee after we've already studied something for 18 months with the shareholders, I think it will just be picked apart. So a big difference is just willing to stand there and be a legal advisor to the legislature and tell them when they're about to run off the road and create bad law. And then when they do it, don't become part of it. Well, speaking of uh, candidate forums and debates, Governor Kay Ivey has drawn criticism for refusing to debate her Republican primary opponents, uh, skipping last Wednesday's debate hosted by AL.com at the Lyric Theater in Birmingham. Setting aside the political strategy behind avoiding debates, do you think incumbents have a civic duty to debate their challengers? Well, I do. Governor Ivey is an incumbent. Uh, Steve Marshall in the AG slot is an incumbent. But they're not an incumbent by the vote of the people. And I believe the people want to hear from these incumbents. How important do you think it is to uh, the democratic process that voters be able to hear and see candidates face to face? I think it's important. I certainly like it as a voter. I want to educate myself. And when we have these forums and there are questions asked that we don't know what's going to be asked, so it is uh, off the cuff. 
that gives you a lot more insight, I think, into how well-versed we are and knowledgeable about the issues, how well we think on our feet, uh, how well we deal with stress, uh, a number of things that show uh, qualities that you might care about in your elected officials. I watch the TV like others do, and I see the commercials, and they seem so cookie-cutter that if that's all voters are depending on, I worry about it uh, because it's the typical ad in Alabama is uh, uh, have yourself walking in a church, have yourself uh, greeting somebody at a cafe, might want to have a piece of farm equipment in there. We're going to have the ubiquitous uh, hunting picture, uh, which, of course, is not what the Second Amendment rights are about. Uh, that would be more represented by a um, uh, a minute man. You know, that's about personal defense. It's not about hunting. And, uh, of course, we're going to uh, say something about Trump because he's polling out the uh, you know, really out the top in Alabama. And if that's what you get, a 30-second ad with those little pictures, what do you know? Uh, what do you know about those people other than they've polled in Alabama and we care about faith and family and uh, Trump and riding that coattail? I wish uh, people could all attend uh, meaningful forums where they can truly see the differences between the candidates. Alice, I think that speaks to your brand of politics, which is focused on being genuine, focused on being transparent. One of the issues that has come up repeatedly in in your campaign and and I know at these candidate forums has been the appointment process that former Governor Bentley went through in appointing the current attorney general. Speak to us maybe about your experience with Governor Bentley and, and the interview that you went through for that appointment yourself. Sure. First of all, I find most interesting thing I've heard on the trail is just to give some backstory. Remember, the president, Trump, is elected in November. Uh, You know, the vote comes in November of 2016. And then uh, Mr. Bedsell uh, speaks uh, publicly that he got a call from the governor's office at the beginning of December wanting him to interview for AG. Well, interestingly, it's around the last week of of November, around Thanksgiving, that Jeff Sessions is tapped by President Trump. So it seems pretty clear to me that Governor Bentley always intended to put Luther Strange in the Senate. And I think he did so for the express purpose of being able to handpick the next AG that would have responsibility for his investigation. Now, it's clear to see that whoever got the appointment Uh, would recuse from that. But importantly, that person gets to choose who is the special prosecutor for Bentley. So I think that's one of the important things that comes out. As far as my process, I learned on a a Wednesday uh, from the legal counsel for the governor that he was going to appoint Luther Strange. Uh, So that caused the uh, General Strange to uh, resign. And under Alabama law, it's much like a vacancies law. The chief deputy attorney general has the authority, the full authority to act for the state of Alabama in the absence of the attorney general. So that might be he or she is out of state 
or they have left office. And so in this case, uh, I became I was the chief deputy AG and I had that role. And so after he appointed Luther Strange to the Senate, I got a call from the office and said, would you come speak to the governor the next day on a Thursday? I said I would. The governor's office put out a list of eight people that they had invited to speak to him. I went over for a meeting. He flew back from Washington where he had observed the swearing in of Senator Strange that Thursday. Uh, I had about a 35-minute meeting with him in which he asked me as the chief deputy AG if I would tell him about the size of the office, what all the office did, uh, those types of things. I have said that it really wasn't an interview. And what I meant by that was he wasn't asking me job qualification questions. My resume was not in his hands in front of him. He asked none of those kinds of things. So we already knew in Montgomery that Mr. Marshall had seen him the day before. That's now been publicly reported that he was on the governor's calendar at eight o'clock on that Wednesday. Uh, We also had heard uh, that he had had meetings with him over the weekend. Nonetheless, I think everybody uh, walked out of those meetings. I've talked to a couple of other people that interviewed, feeling that it was really for show publicly. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, that was on a Thursday afternoon. Friday, uh, we were told uh, on Wednesday, I was told the governor would make his selection by Friday afternoon. So it was less than two two days that there was going to be a vacancy. And on Friday, I I headed back to Florence, Alabama, and somebody said, well, you know, he's not going to make his appointment till Friday afternoon. Don't you want to wait? And I said, no, he's already made up his mind. I'm leaving a briefing binder on the desk for the new attorney general. And I'll call as soon as I hear the announcement to uh, congratulate uh, the uh, successful person and offer the binder. So they'll have it over the weekend and can get up to speed on the significant cases in the office. So that's really the process. Better to get home to Florence than uh, wait around in the swamp in Montgomery. I, I thought so. Uh, I thought there was no reason to no reason to hang around. Well, uh, very interesting story, and thank you for sharing that. Again, you know, one of the Certainly. reasons that we wanted to start this podcast, and I think one of the reasons that you wanted to participate in it is for transparency and uh, really an experiment in transparency for a campaign, and and anecdotes like that go a long way towards towards achieving that mission. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, had I been appointed, I understand people's concerns. Of course, my concern at that late date was to try and preserve the integrity of the investigation. Uh, I actually uh, recused from that after after that interview. I never had any further action in the case other than to hand it over uh, to the selected prosecutor. Uh, And while I uh, like Miss Brooks, I would simply say, she does not have a reputation for being tough on ethics cases or having that much experience. Uh, she's a retired Democrat uh, prosecutor from Montgomery County, so that made it convenient uh, to appoint her. Uh, but had I been uh, selected, I certainly would have uh, let the Supreme Court, which is an appropriate process. Actually, Ms. Brooks has spoken about that uh, in training to uh, district attorneys. Uh, that you, if you are recused, you really shouldn't select your successor. And I would have adopted that model there. And the Supreme Court of Alabama would have picked an independent prosecutor. 
Shifting gears, uh, we're recording this episode on Confederate Memorial Day, and yes. the, the issue of Confederate monuments is one that doesn't want to, seem to want to go away either in your race or the governor's race. Steve Marshall has publicly touted the suit his uh, office filed last year against the city of Birmingham regarding the city's erection of a plywood barrier around a Confederate monument in Lynn Park. And Governor Ivey re-injected the issue in a campaign conversation with an ad she released last Tuesday. Where do you stand on this issue, and do you think that this is an issue that is of chief concern to the voters of Alabama? I think it does concern the voters of Alabama, and I think largely uh, on one hand, because so many have uh, relatives that are Confederate veterans, uh, that's that's their family. And uh, I'm well aware of that. Uh, I attended a Sons of Confederate Veterans Robert E. Lee dinner. And it was a moving experience because people stood up and they gave the rank and the regimen of relatives that had died in that conflict. And many people stood up and it was their grandfather. It was their great grandfather. This is not a distant past for some people. And I'm not talking about the underlying reason for the war and whether or not you think it was about slavery or about the power of the the area of the country, whatever the reason is for these people, they have family members that died in a conflict, much like people have family members that died in Vietnam, whether you agreed with that war or whether you agreed with the Korean War or any others. They have relatives that died and there have been monuments put up to honor them. And they find it to be a personal affront to family to try to rewrite history. Now, I certainly understand the other side, that they think these monuments represent all that is bad in the South. But the fact of the matter is that our laws are made by our policymakers, the legislature, and they passed a law that monuments that were over a certain age would be protected as historical monuments. And in fact, I believe these were already, I don't have the federal statute Uh, at the tip of my tongue, but I believe they were already protected anyway because of the military conflicts and the uh, federal law that protects those kinds of monuments. So I see both sides of it, but as the attorney general, your job is to enforce the laws passed by the legislature. They passed a law that would protect these monuments, and I would do that. And I think when you uh, try to be cute, uh, as Birmingham did, and put up wood walls you know, put a box around something. Uh, I think that is obstructive of it, and I would file a lawsuit as well. As we close, Alice, you've invested a great deal of time and energy in this campaign. On Saturday alone, you hit upwards of five events. I know that a race like this can be all-consuming, but judging from our conversations and from your social media feed, it seems like your family really provides you with a refuge and a respite from the trail. Tell me, how has your family supported you during this taxing race? Well, this week, my husband is going to cover Lauderdale County Executive Committee and go to that. I've got uh, friends that are covering three and four meetings this week. 
Uh, my children, a couple of them are helping with phone banking, which is nice. And when the weather's pretty on a Saturday, which was not this week, we had nothing but rain. Uh, we'll start uh, as a uh, we'll have a couple of them canvassing, doing the door to door knocking. So that's very helpful. And I think most energizing, my my little sister, my baby sister, had her first grandchild this week, which I was thrilled to see those pictures. It brought tears to my eyes. But I have a new puppy that's 14 weeks old that I have been there since uh, she was born. So I am really energized to have Tap. Uh, that's uh, her name. Her, her official name is High Test Texas Double Tap. <laughs> she is a <laughs> bird dog. And so you have to give them a good hunting name. And tap is full of energy. And so when I'm feeling just a little slow, I just remember her energy and say, I just got to tap it out today. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, uh, you mentioned the phone banking. You mentioned the canvassing. Uh, as we close, I just want to give our listeners a chance to uh, join the campaign. What opportunities are available and are there any major events in the next week or two that voters should be keeping an eye out for? Well, thanks. Uh, yes, you can go on to alicemartin.com where you can hit a volunteer button and volunteer for the campaign. Uh, that would be of great help. Uh, we do have people that are not able to get out and about uh, physically, and so they can help us by making phone calls. And we have an app that's on the cell phone, and it dials the numbers for you. If it goes to an answering machine, you don't have to speak to the answering machine. Uh, the app does that for you. And uh, you can go on and have a good process uh, there. We also have people that are organizing door-to-door walks. Uh, I met a woman that lost 15 pounds walking for another candidate during the uh, Trump Hillary Clinton. So if you're wanting to get on a weight loss program, please join us. <laughs> I, I need to walk. And then uh, this week alone, just look at our webpage. But a lot of the tea parties are standing uh, up uh, forums. So tonight I'll be in Wetumpka at the Tea Party. And, you know, Tea Party, the T stands for taxed enough already. Uh, <laughs> so tonight it's in um, it's in Elmore County, uh, Wetumpka. Uh, tomorrow night it will be in Baymanette in Mobile County. And then my birthday's Wednesday, so I'm not doing a forum Wednesday night. And then there is an AG forum by the Tea Party of North Alabama in Huntsville on Thursday and uh, Friends of NRA in Mobile on Friday. And then there are tons of events on Saturday, but I'll be at the Chilton County candidate event. Lawrence County is opening their headquarters and the Volunteer Fire Ladies Auxiliary Political Forum will be in Double Springs starting at two o'clock. And then I'm going to hit a music event at Frederick Outdoors on Saturday night. So I certainly hope to see uh, our listeners on the trail. Well, you heard it here, losing weight and gaining votes. Uh, <laughs> happy early birthday, Alice. Thank and, you. And uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. Dare to Defend is an 1819 Media production. To learn more about Alice Martin and her campaign for Attorney General, visit her at www.alicemartin.com. I'm Brett Janik, and we'll see you next week from the trailer.